John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 683.gn2304, certificate number 17567, Kennewick Man. It is certainly America's most important skeleton. It is an exceptionally rare discovery. It does not happen but once in a lifetime. I truly consider him an ambassador from an ancient time period. Kennewick Man? That's like that's like somebody uh-huh. says. Where did you uh, where did you stop to? Which Costco did you stop to gas up? At, uh, on your way to Nevada, Kennewick man, Kennewick man, Kennewick man. I thought you were doing Particle Man, but then you stayed on the same note. <laughs> Kennewick man, Kennewick man, Kennewick man, Kennewick man, man hates Richland man. Yeah, Kennewick man does hate Richland man. And then Pasco man comes in in the in the third verse. Hilarious Washington State references for yeah. our for our far future audience for whom Washington State is underwater. We should do we should do a uh, although not that part. Although wait, no, it would go up the it would go up the river, right? Yes. Yeah, the, the river. The would basin's just, gonna just cover them all. The, the the Columbia River is the Columbia. Swamp in your time, Columbia yeah. Sea, the Columbia Bay, Co- Columbia Inland Sea. I'm always looking for Richland bombers merchandise online, but I'm afraid that the is this, Richland- a, is this a uh, like a Unabomber type character that I don't re- <laughs> just some Southern Washington serial killer I don't remember. No, because the city of Richland is kind of the closest to the uh, to the nuke base there. Nuke, I, I wouldn't call it a nuke base, Hanford but the Hanford adjacent. Hanford Reservation. Um, they their uh, mascot high school mascot is uh, oh, the school. bombers and their their uh, letter jackets all had big mushroom clouds on the back <laughs> and you know the stuff from the 60s Duck and cover and baby 70s is really cool in looking. the third quarter we're coming after you but now i think they realize it's a fundraising uh you know boon for themselves and so they you know they sell they sell merch it's not as good they I, were the albuquerque isotopes before the albuquerque isotopes yeah. were the albuquerque isotopes yeah it's hot stuff my dad's from was born in richland which explains my mutated yeah it DNA. explains his antenna for sure <laughs> yeah that's an antenna beep, on his car beep, he's a beep, ham radio guy beep, beep. He, uh he was born there and how did his people get to kennewick oh just a job in the post-war <laughs> they didn't come Ooh. across the land bridge <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's there's some controversy there <laughs> No, he came from uh, he came from North Texas. He oh. came from the Lubbock area. Well, his family did. He, I think, was not even in utero yet. On the playground is where he spent most of his days. That's right. He was. He uh, his parents shipped him off from the mean streets of Lubbock to get <laughs> the privileged uh, background that comes from growing up in Tri Cities, Washington. Now, wait, what? What year was he born? Forty nine. 
Oh, so his so his father was there as part of the the uh, the big boom, the yes. industrial boom there. It was, it I was, didn't know you had a nuclear, town was growing, but you have, you have a and glowing. You have a nuclear uh, past. I have a nuclear family. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, you know, we take uh, requests from some of our philanthropic supporters, right? In our era, it's one of our it's one of the perks. Uh, yeah, if you donated a sufficiently a generous, selfless level, which most of you listening do not, by the way, um, but a small number of elite people. <laughs> small, wow, just throwing shade. Small in the here in the champagne room, a small number of <laughs> VIP listeners get to suggest a topic, and Mary S. Hey, get out of the chocolate fountain! <laughs> hey, get your feet out of there! Mary S. suggested uh, three topics, uh, all of which were perfectly. Cromulent omnibus topics. Mm -hmm. Now that's what I call music. The CD collections, right? Which, which seems like it might get an, uh, a mention. I think that might be coming. Yeah, Stonewall, which is uh, certainly worthy. We might go. We'd probably find some off the more off the beaten path way into it. That's the thing. It's hard uh, with a lot of topics because they're either well documented in multiple um, TV sort of like hour long. I am confident there's yeah. an eight hour PBS miniseries about Stonewall yeah. and we would not be able to scratch. The but surface. there's usually a good, there's usually a good sidetrack right. that feels much more omnibusy. Right. Omnibusian. What's the Omnibusian. What's the, I don't know what the Omnibusian. adjective is. Or, uh, her third idea was Kennewick man. Yeah. And you love, uh, regional history. And I, I thought you would jump at the chance to do Kennewick man. And you demurred. I love you really demurred. too. Well, you know, because the, because it's a local cause celeb and it, uh, and as we're going to see, as you dive into it, you know, it has some, it has some, uh, what did I, you find tricky about it? Well, it's the collision between, on the one hand, paleontology and science and the desire to advance Think, the, things our we're understanding, all for. right? And also cultural sensitivity and an understanding that Native Americans have been trod upon and their culture has been, uh, you know, not just like steam shoveled, but actively like repressed and Which we also denied. support. Right. These, these are two of oh, the- Oh, wait a minute. We don't support actively no, not, repressing. Not no, we support uh, redressing- <laughs> Redressing, Those right. uh, historical ills. And in that collision, which I followed at the time in the newspapers and the fact that the, you know, the scientists- were not insensitive to the cultural question, but also very much uh, biased toward the idea that science, right. that there was some time limit on human remains where they went from being your great, great grandfather to being just a detached kind of part of the a geologic record part of the landscape right and all that we could learn and what's that year like, and, and what's the year there must be a bright line somewhere and what it and what it boiled down to was that you know that they were resorting to genetic testing to see because there were there were you, you know, said you weren't going to do this show, John. <laughs> some of the argument was, well, wait a minute. You know, the people that were here 8,000 years ago aren't related to the Umatilla or, you know, who, who the local tribes. It's and, a, and that felt like a kind of a, I don't know. It's like, a legal thriller with no bad guys. Yeah, right. Because we all think that science should be advanced. Yes. And we all think science. that, and we all think that indigenous rights should be respected. Yes. And this was a very tricky and very high profile edge case. Um, and that makes it really interesting to me, but it's not going to be a, a case of a crusading, uh, Atticus Finch type bringing down some evil local, uh, 
uh, businessmen or bureaucracy or, or machinery. Yeah, there's no one that was saying, let's display the remains of the Kennewick man in a glass case at a Fuddruckers. I mean, Buffalo Bill Cody's ghost was saying that <laughs> when he kept appearing at the in the Costco parking lot. What's, what's so fascinating about the land bridge and about the, you know, the settlement of the Americas by people coming the long way around is it's really like uh, I mean it's such a dramatic story and you can you can actually follow the migration by the 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 oldest remains that have been found in various locations and we we speculate all the time well what if what if a different group of people came over on a, on a raft you know this is the Contiki, Contiki question and what about you know and the story gets rewritten every time, every time new relics are found and so that's that was a big part of the argument for the science was like wait a minute this tells this tells us so much and that that's where the dna came in it's uh yeah and there are there are actually points of fact that may affect you know your opinion of the case or the various legal decisions that came down regarding the case um so I think reasonable minds can differ here. I, I feel like I, you know, I really was interested in the topic, but I, I, I'm a little gun shy about about internet controversy, and I just kind of, you know, I just sort of moonwalked backwards out of it. Even though I'm super glad that you chose it, and I want to talk about it. I think we can. I think we're. I think we're up to the challenge. I, you know, you are nothing if not uh, measured. I'm a real even tempered. I'm a real Obama. On the one hand, yeah, kind of guy. You teach the controversy, but on the other hand, let's teach the controversy. <laughs> you, you know, you 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 tell us about both sides. Kennewick Man is the protagonist of this story, but we don't meet him until he's been dead for nine thousand years. Yeah, um, which you know, by which time all his all our faults are forgotten. If you're listening to this nine thousand years after John and I have passed on, uh. Well, we were unfortunate enough to leave this record, but you don't know anything about how good or bad our neighbors were. Well, we are your grandparents. I mean, that's the thing at 9,000 years, right? We're all related. We all have the same, the, the, our er-grandmother. Um, at, at, you know, you follow, follow genetics or you follow, a, 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 what, what, what am I looking for? Um, genealogy. You follow genealogy and you realize that there's so much... Um, genetic material just kind of well i guess you for lack of a better term in inbreeding we we all have sex with our cousins not me personally no not we all you. do we all do all but, of all of us here in this room but but all futurelings are probably in in cousin relationships send us uh, a, an envelope with the names of all of your first cousins with whom you've had relations but then dna also shows us you know these kind of unbroken lines like i'm related to the three kalas the ancient kings of ireland well congrats thank you i have about i have the the smallest scintilla of genetic relationship to them and it shows (laughs) if it weren't if it weren't for you know the y chromosome this broken little chromosome that travels through time this dumb little half chromosome how we hate it god wouldn't things be better without it if only if only i had Two hearty X's instead of this silly one. Uh, The story of Kennewick Man did not become a national cause celeb, as you say, immediately. It started as a pretty uh, small uh, event. Uh, Yeah, a little little article in the Seattle Times. In the summer of, and maybe it was even in some Eastern Washington paper first, I don't know. In the summer of 1996, two college students uh, in Kennewick, Washington are 
in, already implausible. <laughs> they got lost. They were trying to find the Costco. I'm sure there's something else in Kennewick besides Costco. Please do not email us. Kennewickie, Ken, Kennewickites? Kennewickians. Kennewickians? Yeah. Tri, Tri-Cityans. The because ke- we never refer to them except as the Tri-Cities. The Tri-Citizens? Tri-Citizens. The, Kenwick, the Kennewicked. Ooh. No? Uh, they are in the shallows of the Columbia River. I don't know. Are they fishing? But they find a bone. It's brown. It's mottled. It's old. They are alarmed. And they call in... It's a human bone. It's a human bone. It's, they call in the county coroner, one Floyd Johnson, which is a good... I hope he's Thank like you. an old Mayberry type. Thank you. It's Thank a, you. It's That's a great county coroner name. Just exactly what I was hoping. Uh, who, uh, in turn, calls in... Uh, Cletus McGinnerfernan. No, local a local archaeologist. And I don't know what a local Tri-Cities archaeologist... You know, he must just be... Um, is he just a local character? One James Chatters... Uh, who, uh, I think every municipality has a local archeologist. Do you think he's on the, you think he's on the city books? I was reading an article in the newspaper uh, just a couple days ago about, about one of these metal detector guys who discovered a horde of coins. They're just metal detector guys? No, there's always some, there's always somebody it's, there's a local museum that's only opened on Tuesdays and (laughs) Wednesdays. There's a sign that says, if you want to visit the museum, call and, and it's run by this local guy, local archeologist. Uh, he is in fact, uh, he has a master's and PhD in anthropology from the university of Washington. You know, my, uh, physics teacher at Gonzaga university was a Hanford physicist who, when he wasn't splitting the atom would come up to Spokane and teach physics at Gonzaga. Greatest teacher I ever had. Oh, they weren't fishing. It was the hydro hydro races. Did you know that there's a the Tri-Cities has its own version of Seafair called Water Follies, and yeah. they do water, hydro races on the Columbia? I did not. If you followed, if you follow the hydro races like I do, Ken, you know that the, that you, the Columbia River uh, race is a big deal. You travel around the country going to different hydro races. Well, I announce them. <laughs> and now. <laughs> you, you just bring one of your little, little portable uh, mic thing. Here she is, Miss Budweiser. And the bring, people around me are like, shut, shut up. up. Why did you bring Mr. Microphone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, Oberto. So the two students are just, uh, you know, on the, wandering the underbrush of the South Bank um, during the boat race. Looking for a spot. They see a skull. So that's how they know it's a human. <gasps> it's not a bone. They find the skull first. So it's very exciting. Um, and when a local, then when the police get a dive team out there, they find more fragments. They tape off the scene. And that's when they call in the big guns, the coroner and the archaeologist. And in the failing light of the evening... These two dig up from, you know, scattered because, you know, the water and the mud have done their work. They, a, a, a complete human skeleton. Wow. They find it all. I, I mean, most. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's as complete a skeleton as you ever find of, of a prehistoric man. And, uh, Chatters immediately thinks, I mean, at first he thinks, uh, I mean, he, he, he did, he does not appear to be a native American skeleton at first glance. They think crime victim. Yeah. I mean, that's why the police come in. Um, but the, t- so he's like, is this old West? Is this like a pioneer or some trapper? Apparently, and you don't, this is again, a dicey area you don't want to wade too far into, but I guess as a matter of factual evidence, there are skeletal differences in general between different racial types. Right. And it's not phrenology, right. but it is some, you look at the skull shape and, and I, I hate to even get into this because yeah. you sound like one of these 
new atheists turned white supremacists online right. who were whipping out the calipers. If you look at the brain pan, then they have they have a little micro, yeah. Exactly. But there are different, you know, um, uh, the Asian skull, for example, has different shaped incisors. You know, there's dental differences. And in this case, the dental differences turn out to be uh, the telling evidence because the teeth are very worn but have no cavities. Yes. Which means no candy bars. No candy bars. Yeah. People with cavities, that's a modern invention. You know, prehistoric man had amazing teeth because they didn't have processed sugar. Uh, so, wow, this looks, these teeth look prehistoric. And then Chatters notices in the skeleton's hip bone, uh, there is a piece of rock embedded. And it looks like the point oh, of a it's spear. A spear tip. Yeah, it's a spear tip. Kennewick man took one in the hip. Uh, and so he says, you know, this is not a police issue. This is now a paleontological issue, uh, or anthropological, I guess. Uh, he sends the, uh, the spear, a sample of the spear point off for carbon dating, and it's more than 9,000 years old. Wow. And so I remember this, and I was just, you know, I was kind of jumping for joy at the time when it was first reported. Well, also at the hydro races, because I, I was there. You, you and excited. Oh, my God. There they come. <laughs> it's a photo finish. Um. But, uh, you know, this was, there, there wasn't a controversy at first. It, this was like, because, this you was, know, because, well, they didn't go consult the tribes. Uh, you know, the reporter was like, wow, look at this. And, and, there, and there's the naive idea that maybe everybody would be on the same side of this. You know, surely everybody wins if we learn more about the early inhabitants of the Columbia Basin. Well, surely the science and the tribes would be in sync on this. Yeah. Uh, what happened first was not, uh, related to the local Native Americans. What happened first was the Army Corps of Engineers stepped in. Here they come. This is what. This is when the the legal thriller begins. Yeah, and they say actually that's land we administer. The skeleton is ours if it's not a crime scene, and we've seen the radiocarbon results, and it's not a crime scene. Uh, apparently, it's not. It's not a crime if it happened nine thousand years ago. And so, well, oh, so let me ask. Did the spear cause the death? No, it does not. I mean, as we'll later see. It had uh, been in there and had yeah. calcified. K Kennewick man walked around with a spear point in his hip for, for years. So way to go, Kennewick man. Boy, I feel like I've got one in my lower back. <laughs> know what I'm saying? Middle-aged guy? Men were men back then, John, 9,000 years ago. So now, now... No cavities and a big piece of rock in their, in their uh, coxa. Did the Corps of Engineers have a paleontological interest or were they uh what like where does the this is a question i ask about the corps of engineers all the time where does their purview end because they seem to feel within the organization that their purview is limitless everything yeah it's like we will if we, we can will reshape landscapes with our dams and canals yeah we're gonna just oh we need a canal through the center of this town like that is that's our right to do so what did they what was their interest in kennewick man well, at first they just say, look, we're going to, at first it's just typical um, government territorialism. Nice. We're, we're going to make the calls here. We're going to decide who gets handling and access. You, a uh, random local scientist, uh, once you have a seat. Right. It's like when Tommy Lee Jones comes in and says, now this is a U.S. Marshals issue. And then the local cops have to be like, oh, oh man. Dang. I don't, why are they always disappointed? I would be like, sweet. Yeah, right. Well, then, I'm going know. home to sleep with my wife. <laughs> Imagine how boring it is to be an like a, a homicide detective or an anthro or a paleontologist in Kennewick. Yeah, there's no CSI Tri Cities. You're like, come on, give me something to do. So the sheriff steps in, uh, 
between the coroner and the Army Corps of Engineers, just like, we're just going to put this in one of our sheriff's evidence lockers and figure this out. Um, the local anthropologist, Chatters, realizes he's going to be outgunned. He's got the whole Army Corps of Engineers coming after him. So he goes up as high as the ladder he can. He calls the Smithsonian yes. and gets the he gets uh, James Owlsley on the horn, a curator oh. at the <laughs> National Museum of Natural History. Come on. This is, these names are just, somebody wrote a novel and you read it. James Owlsley. He calls Jack Reacher in. <laughs> he pushed up the, the, the arms of his tweed jacket. James Owlsley is not only a highly placed U.S. government official because he runs the, the nation's Natural History Museum. He also, specifically in this area, is a scholar. He's identified mass graves in the Balkans. Oh. And, uh, you know, he was the guy... Um, identifying bodies at the at uh, what the, the David Koresh compound in Waco, oh. and at, even after nine eleven. Um, so he's he's a, and he's also a specialist in ancient America. So like he's the guy, and he's super excited because you don't see a lot of big you know complete nine thousand year old skeletons like this. Like right, like somebody's gonna you know books are gonna be written about this. Yeah. Oh boy, this is a career maker. Yes, and that's what Chatters is thinking. Yes, yeah. I mean, and, and also like. There's just interest. We yeah, just assume these guys got into this because it's not just like, oh boy, I'm going to be sitting at the front table at the dinner this year. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's... It's also like, this is going to be... I've studied my whole life for this. This is the kind of reason I got into uh, anthropology. Uh, but uh, when hearings are held, uh, Army Corps of Engineers prevails. Their attorneys successfully argue that they have the rights... To, uh, to what? To, to turn them into a dam? They, they can do whatever they want at this point. The Army Corps of Engineers has... Ah, those guys. Uh, so they, uh, the bones get locked up now in a federal lab in Richland. Top uh, men. Top men. It's a Department of Energy lab, I guess, probably left over from all the Hanford era apparatus. Uh-huh. Um, and this is when uh, the tribes claim the skeleton. A coalition of, of the tribes in the area, the Umatilla, the Colville... The Yakima, I think the Neds Pierce even, yeah, although it yeah, seems yeah. like it'd be a little out of their jurisdiction. Well, but they were, their jurisdiction was different the, and they're 9, the biggest years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the tricky part. Uh, they remind the Army Corps of Engineers about NAGPRA. In 1990, the Bush administration, the first Bush administration signed into law the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. Right. And I remember that too. And that seemed like a real victory. Uh, it was because there was a history, uh, you know, w- centuries of desecration of native graves by white people who didn't care either they just wanted to well, grave robbery is, is as old as time sure i mean there's yeah. you know you know the, in the most even in the most benevolent cases they're just plowing something up to build a schoolhouse or something right and in other cases they're literally um collecting skulls to put over the bar right well they're yeah so they would saw heads off fallen uh, native warriors after battles and send them back to Washington for study, you know, oh, for, wow. for taxidermy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then of course, just all the fortune seekers later who just want to find cool beads and stuff, either for collections or for resale. So, you know, these people are just worn out from years of having their graves treated like a dollar store, but as anyone would do. But as I recall, the, the, so the tribes kind of banded together to, because they were going up against the Corps of Engineers, which was seen as a kind of monolithic and insensitive and graspy federal agency that had come into this situation kind of with no, with no sensitivity. They, they didn't put anybody forward. They didn't, they didn't find a bow tie and, and push him up to the microphone and make him the, the, the front person of the, the idea, right? If they had just found some guy that was like some nebbish 
was like, I can't wait to dig into this. Look at those teeth. Yeah. But the, so the tribes at first felt like, in your, in your impression, if it had remained a local is- issue, if the local paleontologist a- had brought in the Smithsonian and it had stayed an academic question, uh, you know, like a Tweedy academic question, yeah. would the tribes mm. have felt like they needed to band together this way? I wonder if they still would have, because, you know, this largely becomes, it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic conflict. Yeah. And, you know, the symbolism grows as it starts to appear in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, for sure. But even on a local scale, I mean, the principle here would be, uh, we don't want this studied scientifically at all. We're going to get these turned over to us as federal law now demands. We are going to secretly rebury Kennewick man as, a, as our, as our venerated ancestor deserves. Right. You know, it, it was funny. Very quickly, the tribe started calling him the ancient one right. while, you know, which, you know, as if he was a family member, uh, you know, a figure from their, from their lore and their history. Whereas all the scientists were saying Kennewick man, the way you would say Neanderthal man or Cro-Magnon man, he's a, a sample of a scientific uh, genus, you know? Right. But it, it seemed to me that the tribes, because the Corps of Engineers that symbolically was the federal government, yeah. the thing that the tribes had had been, right. you know, in opposition to throughout their history. And so the symbolism of it was, you know, and especially that the- The, the army. And the united tribes. I mean, it might as well be the cavalry. You know, it's the successors to Custer. Yeah. So it always seemed like the symbolism got, you know, got blown up because it became a- you know, it was no longer just like, oh, the local Nez Pierce and the this guy in a yeah. little one room office. What uh, a, a twist happened very quickly, which was that the army quickly announced that they would hand over the results to the they would hand over the the relics, the bones, to the this confederation of tribes oh. for reburial. The army immediately agreed with the tribes. Oh, really? And uh, you know, when asked about this, the funny thing is, I'm working from a. Uh, one of the best treatments of this appeared in Smithsonian Magazine uh, before, actually, the end of the story, kind of midway in the story. And because it's in Smithsonian Magazine, the Smithsonian curators are the heroes advancing science here. Sure. And, you know, we've done more than anybody else to help repatriate. We've repatriated thousands of these of these relics. You know, we're the good guys I, here. I have a you lot know? of Native American friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what happened is, the army said, "Hey, look, this is just this is the right way to handle this. We're just uh, we're just going by the book here." And the scientists uh, said, "No, you're um, you're already in trouble with the tribes for all these local land administration issues related to dams and salmon fishing and all the above. Like you are literally throwing them a bone." Is that is that really the case they made? That was the that's what the scientists said. Like that the army had a conflict of the interest. Army had a, well, the army had a PR interest in making right. nice with the tribes, and the army does not care about Kennewick man. No, the army just wants to you know to build the dams it wants to build and blow up the dams it wants to blow up without the pesky tribal elders. Right. So they're they're like, hey, here sure. is our ceremonial Could, hey, gift to you. We we would love you to take the ancient one, but let's talk about those salmon numbers again. <laughs> right. It's really expensive to put a fish ladder in the, our local dam, latest dam. Or at least this is what uh, Chatters and, and Douglas Owsley, um, uh, did I call him James before? His name is Douglas Owsley. This is what Chatters and Douglas Owsley uh, alleged. Is Owsley related to the Owsley that made LSD? Is it the same <laughs> same family? Because this story gets more and more interesting. I'm going to guess no. Yes. The Smithsonian makes the case that, yeah, look, we return all these things, but first we do an exam to make sure we're returning it to the right peoples. Uh-huh. Let's do that. And Chatters and Owsley are on the record as thinking, this these remains do not resemble local tribes. 
Like there's no genetic or cultural connection here. With um, the idea we, that- we understand why the tribes are erring on the side of uh, this is our guy, right? but this is not your guy. And is it because the theory at the time was that waves of migrations um, <clears throat> meant that the people that currently or, you know, 200 years ago lived in that region were yes were more recent arrivals so this this uh this is what happens they've already made a cursory examination of the remains and when they later do a more detailed examination yes their their findings are um this is from an earlier wave of uh of immigration uh and or migration i guess and as a result there actually is no cultural connection we can see why you would think hey uh you know old bones on on what was once your tribal land we get it but look, we can show you with science that you don't need to worry. This is, the ancient one is not your affair. You know, go about your business. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Let us show you with science. Exactly. <laughs> Which, and that never goes wrong. You know, uh, like, there's no history of, of trying to show indigenous people with your modern ways, like what they really, right. what decisions they really should make. That feels like a, an, uh, an uh, omnibus t-shirt. Let us show you with science. And this is tricky, even at the highest levels of the Smithsonian. Um, because they decide to, you know, the Smithsonian, Owsley gets uh, some top scientists together to form a legal battle to protest this finding, to, to form a legal team to uh, appeal the ruling for the Army Corps of Engineers and therefore to the tribes will eventually, will quickly get the remains. But the Smithsonian doesn't want anything to do with it. In fact, no museum or university wants their name on it. Like, you know, Harvard or, uh, you know, the Natural History, New York Natural History Museum, nobody wants to be the name behind, we don't think these tribes should get their guy back. Now, where are we culturally in, at this point in time, in the, you know, the growing sensitivity to, uh, to like a, a much more diverse sense of like what our, what our cultural responsibility is. Is there a, is there an old guard in all these institutions that doesn't understand what's happening and a, and a, and like the latest, uh, the younger scientists who are like, listen, we, there's a whole new way of that we have to approach this material. You know, no, the story does not have any young scientists who are like, this is terrible, not just for PR reasons, but like let the tribes have the bones. Like, they don't appear in the story. This story needs more young scientists. There's a Smithsonian attorney who says, you guys should not be doing this because this could be, the, the Justice Department has warned us this might be a violation of federal statute that you're a federal employee trying to sue the federal government. Oh, like right. that's, that's, that could be a criminal matter. Right. And the head of the Smithsonian overrides the, uh, uh, the, uh, his attorneys. own attorneys. Oh. Yeah. And says, no, no, we're going to let, you know, we're not going to be a part, a legal party here, but we're going to allow our top curators to to pursue this as private citizens. Personally, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, would it would this be different in 2021? Even though this happened fairly recently, even though this is kind of a late 90s, early 2000s legal battle. But this is 20. The latest 20 years have been right. Com- uh, have completely changed the way that we think about this stuff culturally. Sea change. So you have to imagine that it. Uh, that this would be different today. But at the time, all these scientists who think, I'm sure think they're on the, they're on the side of good and progressivism. You know, we just want more knowledge about the ancient people here. We're the good guys. It's, it's these local, um, you know, I, I'm sure they see the local tribes as, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, like not water cooler dictators, but uh, yeah. y- you know, like, like little local busybodies, like, we get it. We get it. We'll, we'll take care of this. We share your concerns and we have these broader scientific ones. Well, and because of, because there are so many symbolic, 
uh, vectors in it that I you could see these you know hoary scientists from from the National Mall saying okay with your your you provincial know, Central Washington ways yeah, yeah and also your sort of like uh, uh, spirit journey stuff that is also not scientific like yeah. you know to be to be kind of dismissive of the cultural anthropology or the cultural significance because it's it, it crosses this world where you say well what is science's obligation to religion what is science's obligation to culture there there absolutely seem to me to be free exercise issues here because you know if you were to ask me hey uh, Ken, they found a, a roman skeleton in britain it's thousands of years old should it be repatriated to italy i would say no no i don't right that that seems silly like if it was a guy who died, an Italian who died in the 1700s, yeah, maybe. Sort of. But if, but if it's a guy from thousands of years ago, no, much less 9,000. Well, I don't even think 1700s. I think if you found, I mean, what what happens if you, yeah, if you find somebody who died in World War One, <clears throat> Yeah, soldiers have different. You do have a, you do, but, but I think that they would investigate the remains before they gave it a ceremonial reburial. Right, but there would be no s- sense that the modern government of Italy would be able to intercede for a Roman centurion, right? Like, what happened to uh, the, the Austrian skeleton that, f- was, that was found in the, uh, in the glacier? Ufo U- U- or Uzi. whatever. Yeah, Uzi. Uzi, yeah. I mean, he, his bones are in a, under a glass case in a museum somewhere. Yes. Um, uh, and there was no, you know... But so you, I wonder if you, it you happened to, now. But you have to remember there is some religious overlay here where ancestor the, veneration. Yeah, these tribes have interests in ancestor veneration and a close identification with the land and the relics of the land. Right. Plus, as we said, just the symbolic value that comes with the centuries of mistreatment. Right. Uh, then you know that makes it a very different arena than it would be if the you know the Italian and British embassies were were wrangling over this. Like it really, this is a live religious issue for them and that's constitutionally protected even without nagpra yeah right so but there's a very interesting battle line where today i think uh people on the progressive side of the aisle tend to associate their beliefs just unfailingly and without exception with uh the scientific vanguard you know liberals are the ones who believe in vaccines and masks and climate change and you know we're the good scientists but the battle lines were not have not always been that way and and certainly not so Starkly, I mean, for for in in your lifetime and in mine, there were times when the conservative talking point was, "We're the ones that believe in facts." It's the namby pamby liberals that are going to try to hoodwink you with feelings and vibes. Yeah, um, you need to look at the data, and we're telling you what we need to do. And it's defund the defund HUD <laughs> or, or, or whatever, you know, whatever. But but like that was kind of the the line. You know, the science was not an arm of liberalism at all. And this is a case from just 25 years ago where it's quite blurred, you know, where the the scientists are actually working against a lot of what we would think of as really important social justice elements of progressivism. But that's, I think, still true on both sides of the aisle, the ability to hold two completely contradictory ideas, not in your head at the same time, but to... But in your platform at the same time. Yeah, to, have, to, to be extremely vociferous in supporting science, but at the same time completely... Um, completely prepared to, uh, like dismiss science entirely if it doesn't comport with your, you know, your your vision, your social vision, right? And and I just wonder how those. Cherry I mean, picking. yeah, I wonder in 
1997? Is this 99? Bones are, bones are found in 96, but the legal yes. wrangling, of course, will continue for decades. Um, you know, where those lines would have fallen among progressive scientists and, and people at the time and where they would now, because yes, you're right, we are the, and by we, I mean, pe- you know, people who are on the, what, the thinking, uh, the thinking class. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Good, good thing we college educated Ooh, podcasters boy. are here to tell everybody else what's what. Maybe are you and know. I should be Smithsonian uh, curators with our t shirts. Let us explain to you the science. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, you know, your desire to, I mean, cultural sensitivity, right? That is a thing that, that in 1980 didn't exist. No bad guys here. In 1990, we, be, we were gradually becoming aware of it. In 1999, we were. Their legislation. I mean, imagine the first Bush administration passing right. that law. They thought there was, what, what could I, the downside I be? haven't looked up the vote, but I'm sure it was, I'm sure senators from both sides spoke glowingly of it and reached across the aisle to, you know, Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch were making out in the, in the upper <laughs> seats. But, but the second Bush administration, they almost certainly would not have passed that legislation protecting Native American graves. Almost certainly, because somebody would have made the connection, well, what if we found oil? Right. What if there was what if there was a skeleton and right underneath it oil? Well, we got to figure this out. Whoa, <laughs> Nelly. <laughs> there there's also all kinds of local shenanigans that are going on that are, are very fun early part of this story. Like when the when the remains were when Kennewick man was moved from the sheriff's office to the Department of Energy lab, much of both of uh, his femurs disappeared. <gasps> So now the FBI steps in, and they think it's the coroner and the archaeologist. Have each saved a femur for themselves? Each one. They're, they're, they're bone <laughs> brothers now. And so they, there's lie detector tests and hours of questioning. And finally, the coroner just pulls off the wires and walks out. Um, but years later, the bones were found in the county coroner's office. And, you know... The, the was it Mulder and Scully that found them? The Smithsonian Magazine tells us the mystery of how they got there has never been solved. Uh, well, okay. But in the meantime, the army, you know, the scientists want to look uh, at the site where they were found to see if there's other evidence in the strata. Sure. Uh, you know, could there be grave goods or whatever? And uh, Congress is readying a bill to require the Army Corps of Engineers to preserve the site, you know, like so that it can be studied. But it's a muddy riverbank. It's a riverbank, right. Um, you know, you would need dive teams or whatever. But while the while this legislation is pending, the Army Corps of Engineers just dumps a million pounds of, of rock over the area. Why? Erosion control. Oh my God. It's just it's just it just becomes one of these government territoriality where nobody is thinking about cultural sensitivity or indigenous rights. Or, or science. Yeah, or science, right? Like it's none of the above. It really is just um you know, it's a pissing match, basically. The, the Corps of Engineers could have just held back the water behind their, the dam that is right upstream <laughs> and lowered the river level enough he could have walked in there. But in 2002, the scientists actually win their appeal. And uh, when the government appeals to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, they rule in favor of the scientists, mostly hinging on the scientists' argument that, that NAGPRA does not hold here because... These bones have no cultural or uh, apparently genetic, although the study has been limited, connection to any living tribes in the area. Um, And the judge is pissed. Uh, He's he's like a Salem-born Portland, Oregon judge. I've been trying to read up on the guy. He was, uh, I think, a, a first Bush appointee, but who knows back then. But he's, he's fired up at the federal government. It appears he has kind of a, 
a Western maverick approach, and he does not like what the Army Corps of Engineers has been doing. He uh, orders the government to pay $2.4 million of the scientists' attorney's fees. Huh. Um, he has had enough. Uh, and it's true that this, this whole intergovernmental wrangling cost taxpayers $5 million. Um, and in 2005, the scientists are given 16 days to examine Kennewick Man. And this is a compromise that they've made, that the tribes have voluntarily no. agreed? Oh. No, the tribes have lost in court and are, once again, the tribes have, you know, have seen a paper ripped up and Nagpra dishonored and the scientists are going to get exactly what they want. Well, but they get 16 days. Who is the, who are the antagonists in that? Like after 16 days, what happens? Oh, I assume, you know, the scientists just want to study it. And the scientists are, uh, I assume are, would be open to discussion of repatriation and reburial at that point. That's what the Smithsonian does. But first we make sure, you know, we, yeah, they're they're just, they're just stymied by the, they're, they're just outraged by the idea that they don't get to, to make science, to follow their process, you know, to make the decision that would be informed by the scientific method. Um, so in July of 2005 and February, 2006, they do an exhaustive study of Kennewick and I mean exhaustive. 10 years later. Yes. 10 years later. Yes. It has been 10 years of back and forth between and has, the scientists ha- and the army corps. Of Engineers. Have the remains decayed in that 10 years? It doesn't sound like they've been preserved or protected. I mean, are they, I guess. Yeah, there were concerns, Oh, okay. you know, both in the sheriff's office and in the department of energy, like the scientists, I'm sure are just pulling out their hair yeah. at what their results being contaminated because there's tremendous science to be discovered in this it's not just a this isn't uh just a case of some college kids that uh that want to put a tape measure to work here like this is telling us the story of the americas like maybe i'm being too generous to the scientists here because uh you know in the nearly a decade following their examination of kennewick man they did not in fact return the bones even though they had done oh you know whatever kind of tomography is required to get an exact digital reproduction of the bones, you know, so they have every piece of data they can ever get from them. But even after that point, the bones stayed in the Burke Museum at the University of Washington, the the Natural History Museum on campus, where they had been taken um, after the complaints about the mishandling at at Richland. And the Burke is pretty, pretty great institution, but it has a huge... Native American, Pacific Coast Amer- Native American collection of artifacts and art and and one could say so, uh, quite a bit of it sort of ill-gotten. Yeah, I'm sure they have a very complicated relationship with the tribes and the particular, you know, Federation of Eastern Washington Tribes absolutely wants these bones back. They are being kept from them at the Burke. I think not on display, but, you know, in a in a vault, in a collection. So there are... I, there, one of the reasons that this that this topic like both really appealed to me and also you know made me uh, uh, demure was this is two kind of two different questions and one of them is who gets ultimate control of the bones do they end up buried as as the ancient one or do they end up in a glass case in the Burke where McMahon, yeah. where people walk past and look but then the 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 other question which is a separate question is are the bones made available to science and then repatriated? And to the fact that they kept them for at least eight years after, uh, over a decade after, it feels like the question of are they available to science is resolved either you know by default 
or by design or both, science has ha- had its time. Right. Uh, if, if you've taken, you know, this microscopic level, you know, because all these tests were done within the 16-day period knowing that they might not get another bite at the apple. So at that point to say, well, we need to keep them just in case uh, or because they're a valuable cultural artifact that belongs to all of us and therefore should be at a university and not right. at a hidden burial site. I mean, at a university available to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just met somebody the other night who uh, is a curator at the UW Art Museum, yeah. and she administers the permanent collection, which has no exhibition space. They have a vast permanent art collection at UW and no place to hang it. They All used they have to, is the, the Henry only has traveling exhibits. Yeah, they used to hang the art around the university, yeah. and then I think gradually realized, we shouldn't have a Jacob Lawrence here in this, in this lecture hall. In the dorms. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, when the Henry was built... It's such a beautiful little museum and such a, such a, it's in a, you know, pride of place. Cool spot, yeah. And, uh, and it has such wonderful exhibitions. But I remember when they were building it, it kind of felt like when they built the Seattle Art Museum, I said, you spent an awful lot of money building a giant staircase here. Couldn't you have just made this actually just kind of a square box, but full of art? Did it really need to be like a spaceship? That is kind of a funny thing about modern architecture. They, you know, the architects don't get to play anymore. It's always the museums and the libraries that are um, that are their showpieces. When yeah, you're right. These should be boxes. You can't even have windows in a museum or a library. It's terrible for the stuff. Well, that's the thing. Once you're inside the Seattle Art Museum or the Henry, you're just in big blo- yeah. boxes with no windows. Yeah. So why do we waste so much space and right. time on? I mean, the Henry could be twice as big as it is. In your opinion, what kind of building should be a beautiful architectural showpiece? My house. <laughs> Museums and libraries should be boxes. Yeah. John's house should have spires and minarets. Yeah. I mean, trains, train stations? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Transit. Spaceports. That's what should be super Put cool. Put all the money into transit, space transit, if possible. Got it. So after the 16-day examination... Uh, the, the findings are published in a 700-page book in incredible detail. There's like three full chapters about Kennewick's man teeth. There's a full chapter about the algae on the bones. The findings, though, are fascinating. And I say this as somebody who... Doesn't know, even care. <laughs> never heard of Kennewick man and was kind of rooting for the tribes. I'm like, whoa. Um, first of all, the, the um, physiognomically, from what they can tell, uh, he appears to be most closely related to... The Ainu, the original inhabitants of the, you know the inhabitants of northern Japan, right? You know, kind of a bearded, right. Polynesian-looking people, not not as Asiatic as you would expect on the Japanese archipelago. Also, the uh, the Chatham the Chatham Islanders from the New Zealand region. So far away on the Pacific Rim, a seafaring people of um, ancient but you know not quite Asiatic appearance. Polynesians, basically. Polynesians. This, this is Kontiki. And this is the, you know, this is a case that is being made in Alaska by a lot of Polynesians who have moved to Alaska and sort of claimed, uh, claimed a close cousinship with the, with the coastal tribes of, of Alaska, both the Aleutian and also the Panhandle tribes, the Tlingit and the Haida. Um, and, it, and I'm not sure what the genetic rationale for it is, but the cultural rationale, that case is being made. 
You can also learn a lot about his specific life. Like you can basically get Kennewick Man's biography from looking at his bones. So the appearance of the bones initially made the paleontologists say this cannot possibly it bears no re- resemblance to. A, they thought it was a they thought it was a Caucasoid person. At, I mean, they thought it was literally a white guy, and now they're kind of saying Caucasoid in as much as the Ainu were Caucasoid. Just um, to say, yeah. Not so it, very much. it validates the. The, their initial, you know, coincidentally, it validates their original legal arguments, which is, yeah, there's no real tribal connection here. You guys can, you guys can take a seat. Um, we know now that Kennewick Man or the Ancient One had a uh, shoulder injury from repetitive use. Um, presumably, uh, it looks as if his arm went up and down a lot. So a hatchet rather than uh, a spear. Maybe up and down a lot, but a spear for like marine oh, hunting and fishing. This guy's this guy's getting seals and sea lions and salmon. Sure, he's on the bank of the river, right? Uh and he also injured that shoulder. He has a he has a shoulder injury that would have ended his major league career just from but his right side is really built up and the left side as well from the way you would sorry, the left leg from the way you would step ahead with the opposite leg. Yeah. Went like as, as if you were throwing a baseball. Can you imagine having having your occupation like uh, terraform your skeleton in that way. I mean, I guess a blacksmith probably... You don't think it'll, it's true of modern men? In 9,000 years, people wouldn't be able to look at me and be like, oh, Java programmer. Yeah, right. Like, boy, his his left butt cheek is much less developed than his right one. I used to draw with pencil so much as a kid. I always had this little callus on my left index finger. And in fact, as a left-handed person, I would often smear. So if I hadn't showered, I would, you know, there'd be graphite all over the heel of my hand from dragging it across the paper. So I guess this is just the equivalent of that, but it lasted for 9,000 years. If you look at the tips of my fingers, yeah, you, you know, my guitar fingers. fingers over here are so different from guitar fingers over here. It's the, the, the string hand gets, um, calloused and yeah, flattened. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Or does the, or does the fretboard hand get flattened and the, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you, I, I'd let you feel my fingers, Ken, if you want. <laughs> you, my dad in the 1930s, when he was in college, went to, a, I, I, I'm sorry, mid forties, he went to a a meeting of the, the wobblies that was being held down on the waterfront in Seattle. Yeah. And there was a guy stationed at the door. You know, it's one of these smoke filled rooms where they're all bah, and these are like tough wobblies, you know, the, the real like ragged. And, uh, there's a guy stationed at the door and, and as the, as my dad and his two friends walked up, he said, let me see your hands. And they, they, he grabbed their hands and looked at them. And two of the guys, he said, you've never worked a day in your life. Get out of here. You can't come in here. Because they had, you know, soft college boy hands. And he looked at my dad's hands and said, all right, now you're a real working man. And brought him in. Well, my dad had, my dad was on the Washington crew. (laughs) Yeah. And so his hands were covered with calluses from the ore. I have snow shovel calluses here. Probably similar, but I don't know if it could get me into a... A wobbly meeting. meeting. Probably (laughs) not. The other two men were killed, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They killed and and thrown into the harbor. (laughs) Uh, they also know, I mean, very small bones must have been intact. You asked if every bone was there. They were able to determine he had surfer's ear from repeated immersion in water. So again, a marine fisherman. A swimmer. Um, he has a mysterious skull because he has these depression fractures, one kind of on his forehead and one further back over the dome of his head. And what's mysterious about them is that about half of all ancient American skulls have these, no matter where they find them. Are they from head binding as a child? I don't think so. The 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 two, um, but they're fractures that heal. But yeah, the two competing hypotheses are uh, somebody you just get hit with a rock because <sighs> people used to 
fight by throwing rocks at each other a lot back then yeah. all over the continent. Yeah. Or like people who were hunting with like a bolo, but were not great at it. <laughs> bolo related mishaps. Um, they can look at the, the prevalence of different chemical isotopes in his bones. This has come up on Omnibus before. And to learn about his diet, they can tell that he was not eating the abundant local game of, huh. of Washington state. In fact, he was eating marine animals. Um, like oceanic marine. Animals. Yes. But and he's all the way up in Kennewick. He's in Kennewick on the river. And apparently his source of water was, is like glacial meltwater. Like the isotopes match Alaskan water. Uh, so the idea. He's a nomad. The hypothesis of the scientists are, yeah, that Kennewick man is a long way from home. He's some kind of coastal hunter off on his own, following the populations of sea lions or whatever it is he eats. And his people are part of a coastal migration from Japan that happened in boats maybe before the later land bridge migrations. But in, oh, wow. So, whoa. Before yes. the land bridge. So, but he, but in his life, he lived most of the time in coastal waters. And happened to die far from home. Up a river. Up a river. Although not alone, apparently. The, body, the bones appear to have been deliberately buried. Even though the bones were all scattered, you can tell from um, calcium carbonate forming on the bone which side was down for the longest amount of time before they were disturbed by the river. And they can tell by that which, you know, how deep he was, what position he was in. And he appears to be in a position where he was deliberately placed there and then buried. Science. So he had friends, even though he was, you know, an Alaskan exchange student. And a culture of burial. Yes. Pe the people there had a culture of burial. So that's interesting that yeah. there, there is a cultural connection to whoever lived there, even if he was not them. Wow. And uh, so there's, you know, they reconstruct a figure of him. If you go to the Smithsonian to this day, you can see, I, I don't know if it's in the offices or if it's on display all the time, but there is a, you know, they decide what his face might've looked like based on modern day Ainu and Chatham Islander physiognomy and features. And so they've sculpted a clay face over him, basically a big Kennewick man mannequin. So you can stare into his eyes and think about what he must've seen. Yeah. Um, the tribes are not happy about the way the legal battle has ended. And they're not happy when the science comes out, not just because once again, people are poking and desecrating um, our stuff, but uh, there's some criticism of the science. Like there has been no, uh, the DNA testing has not been uh, conclusive. It hasn't come back yet from a lab in Denmark at the time the study DNA was published. Because DNA was, was still an, a science in its infancy. Yeah, this is deep analysis. This is now kind of the mid 2010, so not infancy, but um, but yeah, it's it's you know five to ten years before the present day, and we know. But DNA testing can tell us a lot more now than it did even a few short years ago. Exactly, and the fact that this study is all just based on the shape of its skull really, you know, rubs people rubs their the scientists' legal opponents wrong. Yeah, um, because well, they're it's just been saying misused, right? Uh, for so many you years. You can't really be a, a, an American Indian. Uh, you're not Native American. Look yeah, at the shape look of your, at your head. You look at your brow. Yeah, look at the incisors here. Come on. You couldn't have done math. So this kind of is a little bit queasy. And in fact, the story does not end there. This, the, long, the deep dive long form Smithsonian article ends there happily with a, with a reconstructed Kennewick man greeting visitors in the offices of the American Museum of Natural History and the small-minded tribes thwarted. Uh, in fact, that was not the end of the story. A year after the Smithsonian wrote this paper, the Danish DNA study came back and said, yes, there is substantial genetic similarity between Kennewick man and the current 
inhabitants of the region. Um, that in fact, you know, because the Owsley and Owsley's argument was always, yes, it's what you said. Yes, this is the, an ancestor in a kind of a general way, but he's no more closely an ancestor of the Umatilla or the Colville than he is to, um, you know, the people of Tierra del Fuego. There's right. Uh, he has stuff in common with all modern man. There's no special reason why they should have a claim. And the Danish findings actually disagreed substantially. But can we can we trust the Danes? <laughs> you think there's a Danish conspiracy? I ask myself that question all the time. I don't. I'm not saying this particular group of Danes. I'm but. imagining a Danish de- delegation being glad handed at a Washington State casino <laughs> and getting like rooms and buffet comped, and suddenly coming back with uh, no. I mean, this is just newer newer science, and uh, according to this study. Yes, like there is a definite cultural link between, or not cultural. Sorry, yeah, a definite genetic link between the cult the, between the modern tribes and Kennewick men. And the problem is that Nagpra requires cultural affiliation uh, as well. And there's no there are no burial goods, and the and the seafaring culture seems to to argue against it. Like Nagpra is written with like a list of like nine. Uh, kinds of, of of ways you could connect a relic with a with a current tribe, you know, because the the law anticipates not just this infighting between scientists and tribes, but you know, infighting between tribes, saying, yeah, you know, well, w- you know, we were on this land, hey, buddy, like we were called the people, you were called the, the people, people from across the river, uh, yeah. this was our land, you know, so so it's the anthropology versus the paleontology and how they how they mutually support or yeah. don't support one another. And the law requires there should be a preponderance of the evidence showing a cultural affiliation, but there's kind of a, um, a loophole that says, uh, that, that allows for a looser evidentiary standard if that fails. And Owsley's up in arms about this. He's like, if this, if this holds, there will never be another study of an ancient American artifact again, because the rules are now so loose that um, you know a, a modern tribal government could, could claim just about anything. What's crazy and, is and maybe that's not so bad. <laughs> we are trying to create a scientific a, a, like a society at least at least whole not not maybe wholly but a, a society founded in scientific principles. But science is so political. I mean it, evidence can be politicized based on who does the research, how the findings are published, what you know as you said cherry picking and it makes because we we often use science as a shorthand for what we imagine truth. is yeah. truth, right? And 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 an ironclad scientific method that isn't tainted by politics. But of course, that doesn't maybe never existed, and certainly certainly not in each individual case. Yeah, right. Even if there's a, a trend toward it. Um, as a result, and as you were as you're mentioning, the social climate has also changed a lot since 1996. Like, if you're going to err on the side of somebody, it's not going to be caliper wielding scientists against tribal elders anymore. You right. know? But and especially by the time 2000, what did you say this was? This was happening in re, uh, within the last decade. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. Okay. So 20 years later, everything is different. Yeah. In uh, this was December 2016. So this would have been in the waning. Uh, days of his term. Trump Tr- has been elected. Trump has already won the 2016 election. Oh, wow. You were on Twitter at this point. So on, <laughs> on one of his, I've been on Twitter since 2011. I know. That's I like know. first Obama term. Yeah. I was uh, on Twitter in 2009. Wow. Six, six maybe before it was even called Twitter. 
Yeah, you were on the um, the beta test version, which was just called yeah. Chirpbird uh, called, or something. Called Live Journal. <laughs> <laughs> Obama signed legislation ordering the museum to turn over the bones back to the local tribes. Based on what? Mostly based on the new evidence out of out of Denmark that there is some genetic connection, which was the whole linchpin of the scientists' argument, right? And that we can use this looser language in Nagpur to get around the fact that it's just too old to show any cultural affiliation. Right. Um, and the scientists are right; like it's going to be it's going to be very hard to do exhaustive studies of future prehistoric North American remains um, if the you know if the you can't make this- make an agreement with the with the Whatever the local Native American. If the looser interpretation uh, prevails, then yeah, let's say something is you know some remains are found. Are they? Will they be immediately handed over, or will they? Will will there be any chain of custody where a caliper is applied? It's going to be. It's going to require a legal battle. You know, Obama. The legislation signed by Obama is not doesn't expand Nagpur. It just said in this particular case, I'm ruling. Oh, okay. Um, so it was a presidential. I think, I think he signed a congressional legislation. Okay. And in February of 2017, 30 uh, tribal members from the Umatilla and the Colville and the Yamaka and the Wamapum and all of the above head to Washington, and they take dozens of boxes containing various bits of Kennewick man back here to Washington State. And as they wanted to do in 1996, you know, 21 years before, they finally bury the ancient one in an undisclosed location. And is there any kind of t- tribal uh, co- uh, competition for jurisdiction? Is there a sense? Because, yeah, I mean, he, the tribes where they are now, their reservations for the various tribes, do not really echo or right. represent like, the so, like so many reservations, they were, yeah. They were, yeah, the Nez Perce are over there. here, the Spokane Indians are, and a lot of them were combined into... That territory was forced on them. Mixed reservations, and so is are there... Did everyone come together in peace? Yeah, there's no reporting on any kind of, you know, disagreement among the tribes. I think, you know, they they all were looking for the same victory and they all agreed, you know, we'll just we'll just bury the ancient one on a riverbank somewhere. The main thing is that nobody knows where, so it can't be desecrated. And no one came up from Arizona. This was confined to Northwest tribes. Yeah, there was a there was a, a there's some kind of governing council of these five tribes that was that was yeah. kind of the speaking for the tribes that became the legal arm of the right. of the battle and the, the political and PR battle as well. So, uh, you know, in this case, we all had our cake and ate it too. Every, I guess, or to put it another way, everybody's mad. Yeah. The scientists got their study, but, you know, lost the bones. So, you know, further advances in technology, you know, may not be able to be retroactively applied to the Kennewick man discovery. The tribes had to put up with the 21 years of indignity of the ancient one being poked and prodded, but they were finally able to rebury it. Right. Um, but again, interesting case. No, no bad guys. Uh, you know, people of goodwill trying to do their job, and just kind of an interesting philosophical debate about where that historical bright line is, where uh, where Grandpa becomes a fossil. At the Corps of Engineers. Still, I wonder if the, if you're looking for a bad guy. You know, I'm always looking for a bad guy. It feels like the Corps of Engineers, they can take the heat, right? It's like the Bureau of Land Management. Everybody's mad at them. This sounds like you have an existing beef. This seems unrelated to Kennewick, man. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I, uh, I read the Monkey Wrench Gang at a very, uh, <laughs> very impressionable age. 
And that concludes Kennewick Man or the Ancient One. It's true. We don't want to. We don't want to pick a side. Right. Entry six eight three dot gn two three zero four. Certificate number one seven five six seven in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that we uncover your remains, or rather, in the unlikely event <laughs> you recover our remains, um, I hereby would uh, would like to get it into the record that you may investigate my bones. You can poke and prod, and uh, measure with your with your pincers, your your calibrated pincers, and uh, and then when you're done, put my bones under a glass case or throw them in the ocean. I don't care. My mom said to me the other day that she wants to be composted. I thought uh, you wanted to be composted. I don't care. Even care enough to be composted. Shoot me out of a cannon. But my mom was like, yes, compost me. You know, after, after our episode on green burials, she said, I want to be composted and I want you to plant a tree in me. Well, does she have a type of tree in mind? Well, we're still negotiating that because she and I are engaged right now in a, uh, in a, a an attempt to take all the invasive species out of my garden. Yeah. And so I don't know. You're fighting English Holly. You've got another, you've got a common enemy. Yeah. But in, in that sense, she and I are both invasive species here. <laughs> so what, you know, what kind of tree is warranted? None of us are related to the original Ainu or Chatham Islander uh, visitors to Washington state. So I have we're all invasive species. Never eaten a seal. Which, yeah. They're probably not good. Which kind of feels like, uh, like an oversight now. Um, you can find Ken on uh, Twitter at Ken Jennings. You can find me on Patreon at John Roderick. You can uh, email us here at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can support the show, and this show is a topic picked by a supporter. Thank you, Mary. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Uh, you can discuss the show with other futurelings and discuss all of our shows and all of your crazy personal or if not crazy all of your interesting uh personal you don't say crazy anymore (laughs) all the manifestations of your mental illness uh send them to us your uh your bet noirs at uh anywhere in social media where the word futureling appears and you can email us i'm sorry you can mail us this is we're talking about mail now real mail and i don't mean m-a-l-e i mean m-a-i-l to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. It looks like you're opening the mail right now. Yeah, uh, this is uh, interesting. I mean, the Kentucky colonels are continuing to send us things. Did you actually fulfill your I, Kentucky I colonelship? I totally forgot. I should. I need to give to the... Because they're really talking about all the good works they've done this year. Uh, in 2021, they've awarded $2 million in grants to 274 nonprofits. But they have a shortfall. They've got a shortfall of millions of dollars. And you know what? I'm going to go... I'm going to go give right now. You know, my... That's just part uh, of... Uh, it's, it's really changed me being a Kentucky colonel. I my, feel differently about the great state of Kentucky. My contribution is part of that $2 million uh, endowment, and I think your contribution is going to be part of the next $2 million. Oh, you think? Well, I gave, my I gave money when I, when, I first, when I first got the letter from There's them. a rope ladder in a YMCA in, in Lexington now with your name on it, Yeah, probably. there is. The, uh, the, the, the honorary Kentucky Colonel John Roderick's Memorial rope ladder. And uh, Kathy sent us, uh, I guess her family does a yearly drive between their home in Missouri and a summer place near Donner Lake. Oh, uh, that's a good of, drive. Right. That's a long drive. And omnibus um, 
relevant now since we did the Donner Party the other day. But she found this... Bone? She found this <laughs> odd pamphlet. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm staying out of this. The ground. It's got a stone in its hip. No, she found this odd pamphlet in a hotel brochure rack. Yeah. Uh, from where? Uh, Ellis, Kansas. It's for the Bukovina Society of the Americas. And she thought of you because Bukovina was for all of the 19th century, the easternmost crown land of Austria. Also, you know, the Germans would call it Buchenland. Yeah. The land of beech trees. And apparently there were enough... Um, Over there by Slovakia or down by Hungary? Uh, eastern slopes of the Carpathians. Okay. So I guess it later became Moldavia and Wallachia. Yeah, it's kind of Dracula territory. Well, no, that would have been the westernmost. Yeah, why does it say the, why does it say the eastern slopes? Um. Huh. But anyway, it later became Ottoman and then, wait, Russian, then Ottoman, then Austrian, I guess, Austro-Hungarian. Oh, and then it was contested in World War II. Bukovina is now the Chernivetska Oblast oh, wait a of minute. Ukraine. Wait a minute. So they're saying it was the furthest eastern part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, yes. not of Austria. That's correct. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So that's, yeah, that's that would be the eastern side of the Carpathians, which are shaped like a, a giant lobster claw. But I guess there were 95,000 Bukovina Germans. They're Romanians, who, basically. Who, uh, who left into German-occupied Poland. Yes. After the war, and many of them must have come to the U.S. Now that there's, since there's apparently a Bukovina Society of the Americas founded in 1988 in Ellis, Kansas. Did I ever tell you about the the German village I uh, encountered in the Vulcan Mountains in uh, Romania? No. I walked into the, I walked up this river valley and came to this little town that was up at the end of the this dead end valley, and I walked into a store and. Literally, the woman behind the counter, it was a bakery. She had blonde hair in braids and was wearing like... And yodeling. Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, I said yeah, some some little bit of uh, of the garbage Romanian that I had picked up and she replied in German. And I said, and so I sat and talked to her. What are you? And she, I said, you know, how did, how did a German end up running a bakery up in this little village. And she said, this is a German village. It's always, it was German village 800 years ago. Uh oh, probably enforced. And I said, what are you, are you kidding me? And she was like, no, I mean, there are still Germans living here that didn't get, because it was just out in the middle of, yeah. of nowhere. And they, and then you walk around and it's not Bavarian architecture exactly, but you know, there was, it, it looked like a little German town. Very weird. Blew me away kind of. So that must've been the Bukovinians. Maybe you want to join their uh, society. It's open. To, membership is open to anyone of Bukovinian heritage. Do you have any Bukovinian heritage? I do not. Or is interested in its history and culture. Wait a minute. There you go. That might be my way in. The dues would be $150 for a lifetime. Do so. I get a, a medal or a... I mean, that's the great thing about Kentucky Colonels. They gave me not one, but two medals. I would imagine you get free entrance to the museum in Ellis, Kansas, which contains a collection of Bukovinian clothing, farm implements, mechanical tools, books, musical instruments, documents, photographs, and artifacts. This is what you're talking about. It's probably open on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> uh, thank you, Kathy, for letting us know about the Bukovinians. Their society has the, I guess this must be the Bukovinian crest. It's a very, um, whoa, it's a, it looks look. like a Hunnish bull. It's a, it's a bull who doesn't care about you. 
He is a bull that doesn't look, it looks like not European, right? Isn't that a bull that you might see in Uzbekistan? Yeah, and it's sticking out its tongue at us. And thank you to the Kentucky Colonels for continuing to remind me that I need to, um, you know, get a rope at the YMCA. They have shot glasses. Do you want laser etched shot glasses? No. I have, uh, I have like this lifelong problem of being gifted shot glasses, a thing I do not want. That's a classic gift for an alcoholic. If you look it up yeah. in, the, in, hey, the, in the book. Hey, we got you these shot glasses. Like, nope, sorry. There's nothing I want in a shot glass. It's not enough of anything except alcohol, which I don't want. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe and fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.